0: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme, uh, John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 333 Text uh, WhatsApp is also available at 086-2103-103. Um, after 11 o'clock this morning on the programme, we are going to be dealing with the Anna Creasiel case and the news by now everyone has heard. The news broke yesterday that the two young boys who were being tried for her murder were found guilty yesterday. And of course, they'll be uh, only referred to as Boy A and Boy B and that anonymity is because they are children and by all accounts that anonymity will remain in place even when they reach the age of 18. We're still going to be quite careful in what we say about the particular details of the case because of course there's another month to wait for sentencing and then even even then I don't know on the 15th of July if sentencing is going to happen if that's just going to be the beginning of the process of uh, sentencing but last night they spent their first night uh, behind bars for the murder of young Anna Grissel but it's her parents I think are the ones who are getting obviously a lot of attention in the papers today and rightly so and they've just I think handled this whole case with such dignity and yesterday and I actually tweeted about this yesterday when the news of the guilty verdict came out at early afternoon yesterday it was straight away the parents I thought of I mean they've lost their absolutely beautiful and much much loved uh, daughter in the most horrific of circumstances and then they had to sit through the evidence that came out in court over the last, what was it, over seven weeks, nearly eight weeks. I just thought of how difficult a time these last eight weeks must have been for the family. I mean, they've just had the most devastating year, but just have to have heard all of the evidence. I mean, even just listening to court reporters that what I heard from it and reading it on the paper, I found some of the evidence uh, quite difficult. But for the parents, it must have been just excruciating, hard enough for them to be dealing with the heartbreak of losing their beautiful daughter. So very much the parents uh, I was thinking of yesterday and continue to think of today. And I suppose the fact that I can identify very much with Anna Creasiel's mother, also been in the same situation where I'm raising a child that some other woman gave birth through birth to because of uh, adoption and I, I certainly know when I adopted Marcia and I know I've spoken to other adoptive parents and they'll say the same thing you sort of secretly make a promise to the birth mother that you will look after this special little person, boy, girl uh, and you will look after them to the best of your ability for the rest of your life and I'm sure that Anna Creational's mother and father must also be thinking of her birth mother who isn't even aware that her beautiful daughter is no longer with us. So there's just so much of a knock on effect to this but I just think for the cretials and for Anna's mother when she was in court and the evidence that she gave, the wonderful picture that she painted of this beautiful, much loved much wanted daughter that they adopted from Russia when she was only two and a half and she had been, bless her heart she had been quite challenged the child was she found it very, very hard to make friends and all she wanted was to make friends and because of that she was seen as a bit of a loner and I know in court it was almost painted like they tried to paint her almost as some kind of a, a weirdo And uh, that she was outcast and nobody liked her. So it was lovely to hear from her mother to say, you know, how vivacious she was at home, how she loved music, how she loved dancing. What a great swimmer she was. And just, you know, how beautiful and how loved she was at home. And I know it is looking like the parents will have the opportunity if they want to give a victim impact statement as part of the sentencing or whether they will um i don't know i mean they spoke very briefly uh, yesterday and again with such dignity the way her dad just simply said anna was our strength and then you know the mum talking about how Anna was a dream come true for us and she always will be. She will stay in our hearts forever loved and forever cherished. And this ending with we love you, um, Anna. Such great strength, I think they showed yesterday. So very much today, certainly my thoughts are with um, Anna Creasiel's parents. And may Anna rest in peace. And and Michael, uh, by WhatsApp, saying something similar, saying, Patricia, hi, what a sad dawning of a day all over Ireland when you have two of our youngest ever people beginning their lives behind bars after being found guilty of the most horrific death of a most beautiful young lady with her whole life in front of her. It's beyond comprehension what happened to her and why, why, why. Mustn't that put the fear of God into any young girl's heart growing up today Our consolences to her parents and her family and may she rest in peace. And it again, of course, one, another thing that's really come out of this case, it raises the whole issue about bullying. Because it seemed young Anna was just bullied from certainly from when she went into uh, secondary school and she was dreadfully bullied because she was adopted. I, I thought, goodness, I've heard of people being bullied for all kinds of reasons. I mean, she was a very tall, striking looking girl. And of course, any sort of difference if you're going to be bullied, you get picked on. And she was mocked over her height. But her mother spoke about the fact that she was mocked and goaded over being bullied with people on her Facebook Page, to, you know, goading her about her fake mam and dad, and there was seemingly some malicious comments posted on her fa- on her social media uh, accounts to the point that her parents took all of her phone, iPad, you know, any sort of access yet to social media was taken off her at night to give her a break from it, and a lot of other parents who's sons and daughters are bullied through social media we'll identify with that but we're back again are we not to the whole thing of bullying and social media and just no escape from the bullying and it's one of the things I think that will come out from Anna's case and maybe in a way it'll be her legacy that whole debate and that discussion We'll start again about bullying and trying to get that message through to young people. You know who become keyboard warriors and they think it's okay to say it and to, I didn't really mean it. The effect that it can have on on young people and to be socially excluded because it seems she was such a a, a lonely young woman who just strived for friends all she wanted was friends and she just for whatever reason found it very difficult to make friends so it's her her you know her story is just full of loneliness and about being without friends and there's that form of bullying that happens where someone is socially excluded and it can be probably one of the most devastating forms of bullying because it just plays in your mind when you're left on your own and you're excluded from the group so you know it, maybe we need to keep having that conversation with young people to get young people to stand up to bullies because because there'll always just be one bully and then sh- you know the leader of the pack and everybody else follows suit but all it will take is one strong person and I accept that it takes strength to stand up and say no this is wrong we shouldn't be excluding somebody no we shouldn't be saying that about somebody you're wrong and of course everybody's afraid to stand up to the bully for fear that the bully will turn on that person and then you become the victim of the bully so I can understand how brave it must be for the good person to stand up and say this is wrong what is happening and that's how we get bullying to end but I don't think we're ever going to to see that happen. So we will speak about the Anna Uh, case a little bit later on today on the programme with our court reporter and I'm just really interested in uh, Frank um, Grenier, court reporter, painting the scene of what it was like in court yesterday and the reactions of uh, everybody when the jury came back and the guilty verdicts were uh, handed down. 1850-333-103 eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three. We're going to discuss the issue of antisocial behaviour on the programme today. And this ties in with an issue we touched on yesterday because during the course of the programme we spoke about vandalism and antisocial behaviour that had happened at Coachford National School where I think every single window in the school was smashed in the night before. So Somebody went to open up the school yesterday morning and discovered uh, what had happened, and it unfortunately was happened on the eve of what was to be the sports day at the school, and that had to be cancelled yesterday. And obviously, there was no school went out in Coachford Primary School yesterday, but just a complete act of vandalism and act of social uh, behaviour. So we're going to talk about antisocial behaviour on the program today, be it acts of vandalism like that or antisocial behaviour. If you're living next door to the neighbours from hell that are causing. Antisocial behaviour or if you get groups of young people hanging around on a street corner but the street corner might just be where elderly people are living and they're nervous of having young people hanging around outside we're into the summer months when young people have a lot of time on their hands and people will say not enough youth centres not enough clubs for them to go to where can we, you know what can we expect them to do they all have to hang around together can it does it lead to antisocial behaviour what do we what can we do to stop it and also once it is discovered and once people are found guilty of antisocial uh, behaviour. How is it treated when it is taken before the courts? How are the Gardaí dealing with it? Do we need to look at the punishments that are handed out for antisocial behaviour? And you know, by looking at it, can we in some way stop some of the antisocial behaviour that is going on? Fingers crossed, there will get a good phone line today to speak about the community air ambulance that is due to be airborne in the next few weeks. There has been a lot of people locally have fundraised in order to get this air ambulance located here in the Cork area and to have it available going forward so that lives can be saved. but Of course, there's been a problem with waiting for a contract to be signed with the Minister for Health, I think in the end had to sign off on it, finally got signed off so we're going to be talking about it going airborne and actually talking about fundraising and of course fundraising now will have to continue to keep this air ambulance airborne because there was the initial outlay to to get the to lease the ambulance but of course there's a cost factor in keeping it up in the air with fuel and and staffing etc. And so fundraising is ongoing. And with that in mind I got an email in from Sandra who said, Patricia I heard that you're going to be speaking about the community ambulance on the programme this morning. I said I would mention to you, in case you were not aware of an event that happened last weekend. Nine West Cork lads cycled the full length of Ireland and what's amazing is they did it in just 24 hours a total distance of 580 kilometres. This challenge is normally done over 48 hours or more but these lads completed the gruelling cycle in 24 hours throughout the night Without getting any sleep They are raised They were doing it To raise much needed funds For the Community Air Ambulance Rapid Response Service So far They've raised over €7,000 And they've already surpassed Their initial goal Of €5,000 There's been overwhelming support For them From the crowds Who came out To cheer them on To the messages of support On their Facebook page To their GoFundMe page Which is GoFundMe um, Air Ambulance Community Rapid Response The group are all members of the West Cork Cycling Club. Now I don't have the lads' names but well done to the nine members of the West Cork Cycling Club on what they managed to achieve last weekend. It really is an incredible feat to have cycled the entire distance of Ireland in 24 hours. Well, well done. We're also on the programme today going to preview the opening of Donorell Court. Much excitement in the North Cork area for the opening of Donorell Court. It gets its official opening on Saturday so we'll have all the details and we'll find out about the opening hours and what people can, can expect if you're going along to see Donnerale Court. It has been open to the public for the first time in a generation and it is Wednesday so Peter Dowdell will join us after half past today to uh, answer all of your gardening questions to get your gardening questions in throughout the morning and we'll put them to Peter later on. Maura says, this hanging around and young people saying they're bored drives me nuts. I have a young lad living next to me and he's out cutting lawns and getting any work that he can. He's not, by the way, sitting on his ass on a device, says Maura. Yeah, and whenever we talk about young people, absolutely, we're not talking about all young people. There are some very... uh, Proactive young people who want to get out, who want to be doing stuff, who want to be earning some money during the summer months. But then there are other young people who think it's a rite of passage to be hanging around with their friends, with their mates. And again, a lot of that can go on and absolutely nothing happens at all. What we're talking about is when it gets into antisocial behavior. And by the way, when we're talking about antisocial behavior, we're not just talking about young people because you can have antisocial behavior by somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s of any age. I mean, you look at What happens through drink and drugs, and a combination of both? If you've ever been in an accident and emergency department late, particularly on a weekend night. The antisocial behaviour that goes on there can be absolutely frightening and that's not in the main conducted by young people so it isn't always young people when we're discussing antisocial behaviour. Thank you for your text, uh, Maura. We were talking about the Community Air Ambulance and we're going to talk about that on the programme this morning. Somebody sent in a text saying that the Mill Street Vintage Club are running a tractor run on the 28th of July and it's in aid of the Irish Community Rapid Response Air Ambulance this is running out of k and L Deliveries Depot that's in Mill Street they're looking for all makes and ages of trucks everyone's very welcome and you can contact Daniel Lucy on 086 8680 807 if you'd like more details about that particular run Now yesterday on the program we had a listener who had glasses didn't want to just dump the glasses, was wondering, was there any charity collecting glasses? And I was saying that I remembered there was at one stage charity, there was some charity collecting glasses for Africa. I can distinctly remember that. And I thought actually it was one of the opticians like Specsavers that were doing the collecting, but I didn't get any confirmation on that. But anyway, overnight I've had um, information in to say that the Lions Club collect old glasses and they send them on to different third world countries so they are of use in other countries and thank you to Marion in and I was one of the people who were on to us Uh, so if you can contact any Lions Club and there's Lions Clubs dotted all over the city and county Get in contact with your local line club and they certainly should be able to take your spectacles from you and send them on so they can be of use to somebody else in a third world uh, country. And there is a Vodafone scam during the the rounds. We always like to update you on scams and if there's new scams coming in or, or if there's a scam targeting a particular area. This scam is to do with a text message to your mobile phone. The text message will tell you that you need to pay your bill within 24 hours. And if you don't, it's telling you your landline are going to be cut off. Vodafone are saying it is a scam. So if you get a text message from someone purporting to be from Vodafone, just delete it immediately. Do not engage and do not attempt to send them any money. By the way, that fundraiser on behalf of the Mill Street Vintage Club for the Community Air Ambulance is a truck run I think I said tractor run by mistake. It's a truck run that's happening on the 28th of July. My apologies. Now, yesterday during the program, we heard about an act of vandalism and antisocial behaviour, which left all the windows of the national school in Coachford smashed in, with upwards of ten thousand euro worth of damages. Finnegan Senator Jerry Butterworth is calling for a more robust approach in dealing with antisocial behaviour in our cities and towns, and he joins me on the program.
1: Good morning. You, Jerry. Good morning,
0: uh, You're welcome. Do you believe antisocial behaviour is it on the increase?
1: Evidence, anecdotally, and evidence-wise, it is on the increase. I think it's important that we recognise that there isn't, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach, but that we need to be more robust in how we deal with antisocial behaviour in terms of in terms of how we. We don't accept it in terms of how we can work to prevent it, but also in, in, in understanding why people engage in it. And, and some of the, the, the acts that you speak about, like, for example, yesterday, or in the case of Chamore Valley Park in Cork City, where we spent uh, an enormous amount of money reclaiming and rebuilding and presenting this wonderful facility to have it vandalised. And, and there's no excuse for it uh, in terms of, 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 of the, the reasons why. Um, and and I'm a member of the city and the county policing committee uh, and I do believe that, as we now approach the summer months, uh, it is important that we're proactive and that we we, we engage uh, and and liaise to understand, first of all, why people engage, whether it's boredom, whether it's, you know, lack of activity, whether it's just plain tuggery, uh, or for whatever reason. Uh, and then secondly, that we put in place a plan of action to respond to anti-social behaviour in our communities, uh, because, as you heard in your programme yesterday, and as we've seen, it is important uh, that we bring a focus on antisocial behaviour and the impact that it has on the lives of people and of communities. And you take the school community, uh, which has had its buildings decimations, You take other people who have, last weekend, had car mirrors, cars vandalised, hanging baskets and windows and the houses broken and and, and damaged. That all has a profound impact. And has, and, and yeah, has, I mean,
0: I was even thinking of the little children at the school yesterday. It was their school sports day. And we all remember that. What a big buzz and excitement it was for the school sports day and the chance that you might win a medal. And then for them to get the, obviously all the parents had to be contacted to say, don't bring your children to school today. And by the way, the school sports day is cancelled for this year.
1: And, and that's not fair. Again. A, a very unfair message, and it also is about how we can tackle it, and and, and that's why I mean, if you look at, for example, in, in, in Dublin, the DART, in uh, O'Hearn, are issuing a textile system for DART passengers to warn security about, you know, uh, antisocial behaviour. We have CCTV, but I I'm I'm I the view that we need to have a parish report well taken here, whereby you know we can we can we can look at how we can roll out CCTV in certain places, and, and I I do believe that we need to designate priority response areas like hospital schools and public open spaces, whereby these places, I, I hate using the phrase zero tolerance, but whereby we can assure and reassure people that any type of activity in those areas, you know, will, will not be tolerated. And I know we've had, a, you know, as and we've had a whole issue around uh, behavioural orders being issued. Um, and, and quite clearly, some of them have walked and some of them haven't walked. But I think, you know, I would pose the question, Patricia, are, are we being um, accepting too much and too tolerant uh, of antisocial behavior? Um, and, and, and that's the question I would pose. Obviously, there are some people who would say you need to understand the reasons why. Absolutely. No problem with that. But you take the school yesterday. There were kids disappointed. There's a building damage. Why? And what is the consequence of that? Other than the poor kids who had their sports day answered, what are the other consequences and wh- where are the consequences, to, you know, to be found? And we need to see that happen and see people held to account more.
0: And how do the guardi deal with antisocial behaviour when it's reported to them?
1: Well, to be fair, they, 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 there's, a, there's a number of ways in which they, they deal with it. They, they, they obviously come out um, and, and, and they, they, they engage with the, with, the, with the people that are involved. Um, they have a very good public information leaflet uh, which explains in terms of the, 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 you know, the response to antisocial behaviour, in terms of the ASBOs, in terms of definition of what is antisocial behaviour, what should you do if you're affected, what happens if, if someone behaves antisocially. You know, behaviour warning lasts for three months. You know, how do you engage in, in terms of changing behaviour? Um, and, and I suppose we can have all the sticks in the world we we do need to have collective buy-in and partnership uh and the majority of us Patricia, go out enjoy ourselves without causing problems There's a minority that engage who must be held responsible and 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 i I genuinely have the view now and i've I've worked as a school teacher i've been involved with young people all my life and it isn't just all young people cause mm. um you know are we allowing people to 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 to, to, to kind of in a way like The guards will come out, they'll meet people, they'll engage, they'll they'll investigate. Um, But there needs to be personal responsibility too as well uh, in regard to the issue uh, of antisocial behaviour. Um, And and I hope that we can culturally change that behaviour and that attitude.
0: And do you worry as we're into the summer months, secondary schools are finished, primary school will be finished soon, Are, are you worried we'll see an increase during the summer months because of one of the issues you mentioned earlier, young people saying, bored, nothing to do?
1: Yeah, and, and 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 there is an issue, and it is—I I don't want to label or target, you know, young people because that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, but there, there, there is a reason why it happens, and predominantly in the summers because there is, you know, a lot of young people free and, and 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 around, and it isn't just young people, but we are in the summer months now, and and we need to be proactive collectively in terms of us as public representatives. Um, the community associations, the guardy, the the joint policing committees, your your community safety fora, uh, and it's it's by reaching across that we can make a difference here. Uh, and uh, you know we have we we have parts of the criminal justice act. Uh, you know where you can take you know a case against people engaging in antisocial behaviour. We have the rules. We 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 have the we we have a, a suite of measures that we can take. But I, I would pose the question. To people this morning, listen to your radio program. What is anti-social behaviour? And um, you know, what does it constitute, and who who are the people uh, who perpetrate this on individual people, but on communities? Um, and and whether we issue a behaviour warning, which perhaps means nothing, uh, or whether we whether we whether we have a civil order, which is what the guardie can use, or an AB, an ASBO, uh, which you know goes to district court uh, and and the application of a superintendent. Um, but but that's fine to have that. But how do you change the cultural buy-in? We saw and we see with the tidy towns where we have galvanised communities together to make yeah. or, and enhance the public well uh, The same thing needs to happen here, in my opinion, where, where we need to have a changing of mindsets along with a suite of measures. And obviously there's an investment uh, in, 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 in community and sporting facilities and other activities for young people. But it's far too simplistic to say and uh, that people are bored, and, and I use that word myself earlier. Uh, but you know, we need to understand that it's a blight on community. Uh, it, it's it's increasing for a particular reason. Uh, but we have to, in tandem with that, then come back with a response. Um, and and that's linked, in my opinion, to the use of alcohol in, in many of our urban areas, to the to the carrying of weapons, and that we've seen an increase in, in, in knife, knife
0: crime. Yeah,
1: knife crime, and yeah. we've seen an increase in the number of knives confiscated. Um, and and then you look at the harassment and robberies and disorderly conduct, uh, and some of it is linked to alcohol and drug misuse, some of it is not. Uh, and I would make the question, I would pose the question, you know, are we as a society going to remain tolerant of, of bad behaviour, or, or are we not? Um, and I'm not in favour of of you know a one size fits all approach, lock them up and throw them away. That's not what I'm advocating at all. What I'm advocating is that we collectively take a more robust response in dealing with the issue, and also in saying that antisocial behaviour has an impact, and we saw the impact in your, and we heard it yesterday in your programme, we saw it in Cork City. You know, so I, I would just make the point to you that many of the people affected are young, or elderly, or vulnerable, uh, who require us to support them and to reassure them. Uh, and we can do certain things, but we need to see the attitude change by all of us.
0: OK, and then there's the, uh, it is antisocial behaviour, but there's the aside issue of uh, drink and drugs and, and drink and our drugs at our A&E departments. I mean, th- th- so much antisocial behaviour can happen at our A&E departments to the point where some people would say we need a separate a- A&E department on the weekends.
1: Well, I've made the point, as you know, before that we should have a particular drug tank uh, where people can just go in, in many cases, to dry, to, to, to dry off and to, to sober up. Because they are, they are having, a, they are having an effect on, on on our on our on our hospital emergency departments. Um, I think we have to look at the issue of alcohol and drug misuse in in, in, a, in a wider societal context, um, which does lead to, to an, an increase in intimidatory behaviour and 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 in damage or violence. Um, and and it, it isn't it isn't a social class Patricia, it's across all social classes. Mm. you know and 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 i think we we can't be blinded to the fact that we think it's, it's coming from this one section it's not yeah uh, okay. and 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 i would make the final point that we can tackle this we've we've seen the tremendous work that we've done uh to our tally towns to our, our, our community safety forum to to walk together and it, it can be the same here where we stand up and say we don't tolerate this type yeah. of behaviour. Collectively,
0: uh, collectively, collectively we yeah. say no. All right, yeah. we'll leave it there. Um, Jerry. thank you for that and thanks for joining us on thank the programme. Good morning you to you, you. That is uh, Fine Gael Senator Jerry Butt. The Irish Community Rapid Response has welcomed the announcement by the Department of Health that a service contract has been signed which means Ireland's first community air ambulance will be airborne within weeks. Joining me, Ruth Bruton, who's Operations Manager with the ICRR. And fingers crossed we have a good line this morning. Good morning to you, Ruth. Good morning, Patricia. Perfect line, perfect line. <laughs> now, I was asking you yesterday, how frustrating has this wait been for the contract to be signed for you guys?
2: Well, to Patricia, to put Ireland's first uh, charity air ambulance in the air, um, it, it has been a long road. It hasn't been done before. So we are really delighted that we're at this stage we're so so close we're just looking for that definitive commencement date and uh, over the past number of years we've been working in strong cooperation with the Department of Health and the National Ambulance Service so we're we're just there we're so close to that lift off and getting airborne and um, you know the the main aim is now get that date so we can start flying and start saving lives
0: because the helicopter arrived if my memory serves me right last September what else- else has been put in place in order to get ready for pardon the pun takeoff what else did you have to do
2: so since uh, the aircraft arrived last september the charity has undertaken the training of the medical crew so we have national ambulance service medical crew that will be on board and they've been trained as technical crew members on the aircraft so they're part of the navigation as well on the aircraft so we've trained a number of those staff. We also have our base here in North Cork. So we have built um, the operational base where the aircraft will take off from when it goes to save a life. All of that kind of undertaking... It takes time, it takes resources, but the support of people has been phenomenal, Patricia. Um, we needed even more now, that support, once we are airborne. Um, but this is really great for the people of Ireland to have this um, aircraft based here, covering the south. But we're tasked through that 999 112 call system. So we could be tasked anywhere that they need us.
0: And and your base, as you mentioned, in North Cork, in, in Rathcoole, between uh, Mill Street and Bantir. Why was that location chosen, Ruth? I mean, I know at one stage there was talks of Cork Airport.
3: So w-
2: being based here, if you have a look on a map, and um, because we're that bit further north from where Cork Airport is situated, we're really well placed for getting around Cork, getting around Kerry, up to Limerick, Tipperary, County Fair, you know, Waterford, Westford, Kilkenny—all of these um, counties will be within a twenty-minute window of our uh, life-saving aircraft, and um, our thirty-minute and forty-minute window of us getting to the scene increases further up the country by being placed um, further up in County Cork.
0: Okay, so it's the it's the central location of it. Um, Ruth, mm-hmm. are there any plans to have it a doctor-led service?
2: So we are. So open to developing this service as time goes on. We're really excited to have these medics um, from the National Ambulance Service on board. These are medics that are trained and really experienced in pre-hospital care. And they have been doing it for a number of years around uh, in land ambulances and also as part of EAS 112 as well um, up in Athlone. So there's a great wealth of experience with these medics that we'll have on board and we're really excited to have them.
0: But it would be great one day if you could get a doctorate.
2: We'd love to develop the yeah. model. If we look at um, Wales Air Ambulance, for example, our, our pals across the water. Um, and if you look at other models of community charity air ambulance, they start yeah. in one model and they develop. So Wales have now gone to, for example, nighttime operations and they're at this over 10 years. So this is something that is an evolving um, model with the air ambulance. It's something that you learn, you adapt and you can change. So th- that's open for the yeah, future. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's in its infancy. I mean, I, I, I assume, Ruth, the dream would be to have more of these community air ambulances dotted all over the country.
2: Well, we've 26 counties in the Republic of Ireland, and we've 4.8 million people living here in Ireland. So to give good cover and to give um, a, a rapid response service within a really timely manner, you know, it does look like more aircraft will be needed in the future, but we're really focused right now on getting this aircraft based here in North Cork live and airborne and saving lives because we will, you know, be able to... Their family's grief, if we can, you know, save um, people, get them to the hospital, that really suits um, their needs. Yeah, it it'll, a really say, it'll save
0: lives and particularly for people in very rural, remote areas where it's difficult to get uh, to get to, or a car to get into and the distance it will take to get somebody uh, to a hospital. This is where the air ambulance will save uh, lives and it would be great if we could see more of them. I mean, if you look, you mentioned our near neighbours Wales, and I know they are ahead of us, they're 10 years ahead of us on this, but they already have four of these air ambulances.
2: Yeah, one is dedicated to children. So yeah. That's the type of model that we are looking at and they're very good friends of ours. So, that's something for us to aim and strive to. If you look at how well they operate, it's something for us to aim to ourselves here in Ireland. And um, the main um, thing with the rapid response air ambulance, though, so, is, it. you know, we've gotten it to this point. We've gotten it to where it's almost live. This belongs to all of us. Um, and we need to keep it here. So we really have had phenomenal support from the people of Ireland, but we need businesses and individuals to help us keep this airborne. So fundraising is really key for us as a charity. And, you know, coffee mornings, cycling events and truck runs, these will keep us flying. So I really hope that um, if anyone does want to share a story, donate to us or fundraise for us, they can visit our website www.icor.ie to find out more information. Um, and there, there's some really great people out there, Patricia. On Saturday, would you believe, twelve cyclists went from uh, from West Cork uh, cycling club I, went all the way from Malin. I, I only, only mentioned them.
0: I only mentioned them a couple of minutes ago, and they're up to seven thousand already. I think uh, of their. And they had a 5,000. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. People are very generous. Okay, and you're expecting a start date in the next number of weeks, Ruth, is it? Yes, yes. Um, So to get, you know, this is going to be really great for the people of
2: Ireland, so the sooner we get that commencement date, the sooner we can really impact communities okay. and um, and you know, save lives okay. and that's the main mission
0: Stay in contact, let us know when you get that start date uh, fingers crossed for you Ruth and in the meantime good luck to everybody involved with the Irish community Rapid Response and thanks for joining us Thank you Tim. Good morning to you
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: By the way we did a climate change Twitter poll yesterday. I was talking about this during the course of the program and we had a lot. Of, we had a busy program yesterday with a lot of people commenting on the government's climate action plan, which is launched this week, and the uh, the various targets that they put in place. And one of the ones that a lot of people homing in on the fact that if if we go by what the government are planning to do, we'll all be driving electric cars by twenty thirty which isn't that far away. You think about it, it's only in 11 years' time. So we were asking the question on our Twitter poll, poll, would you change your petrol or diesel car for an electric one? And the final result came in at 66% said no, while 34% said uh, yes. So a very high proportion of people just simply not liking the idea of the electric cars. And yes, we are still working on trying to get an expert to join us about electric cars because we had so many calls in yesterday from people talking about electric cars, people not understanding electric cars, people worried that if you were driving an electric car and you ran out of charge, which I have to say will be my biggest fear uh, as well. Are you stranded on the side of the road because you have no charge? Or are you going to be endlessly sitting in in what would be The old petrol station, now the charging points, drinking cups of coffee, waiting for your car to charge. And if you're on a deadline and you need to be somewhere and questions like that and then people talking about the batteries and the life of the battery and how expensive it would be when your, battery di- when your battery's gone and needs to be uh, replaced and people talking about the expense of the actual cars themselves even though the theory seems to be the more people that switch to electric cars the more people that decide to buy them they'll come down in price not go up in price they're expensive at the moment because so few people are driving electric cars but the more that buy them they will come down a little bit like I suppose when the mobile phones first came in they were crazy amount of money the very first of the mobile phones and people were saying unrealistic that people will ordinary people at the time will ever be able to afford it and I remember um, actually doing interviews around the first mobile phones and somebody saying within I think they gave something like 10 years you know every household will have at least one or two mobile phones we thought that was crazy there was no way that was going to happen people were never going to be able to afford it why would you need a mobile phone anyway it was only business people Uh, people on the move doctors I think it was mentioned might need a mobile phone but ordinary members of the public you'd never need a mobile phone and now look at us there's certainly very few households in the country that doesn't have at least two mobile phones if not more usually what's happening at the moment is for every person that's in the, in the house there is at least one mobile phone uh, per person and they we have seen have come down in price so it will be the same thing with the electric cars, they certainly will fall uh, in uh, price. So that was the, the, the result of that poll anyway, 66% at the moment if they were asked today to go out and buy an electric car saying no and I would take it if we dug a bit deeper and asked further questions it would be to do with the uh, cost and the lack of charging points. We were talking about antisocial behaviour in the last hour James in Brewery says I feel it is parenting problems when it comes to antisocial behaviour. If parents are not at home where are their children and you should know at all times as parents where your children are. Parents have a big responsibility over their children. You start with the children at home and how they handle themselves outdoors at a young age. Uh, James says we can identify with what happened in Coachford because he said in his area of Brewery they had 20 Twenty-two wind windscreens of cars smashed one night in brewery, and that was within the last hour just complete antisocial behavior complete vandalism. Somebody decided nothing better to do in brewery one night and decides to smash in. Twenty two windscreens. Goodness, goodness at me, so James Reckon, back to parents. But you know, as we said, and we did cover that when I spoke with Senator Jerry Butter when we're talking about antisocial behaviour, it isn't always young people. I don't want to target every single young person and say they are they are the ones responsible for antisocial behaviour. They're not. Yes, I absolutely accept in the summer months when they've got longer school holidays and they have more time on their hands. Some may get involved in antisocial behaviour, but it isn't always down to uh, young uh, people. Fembar says, we had a person in our estate who used to kick over bins left out for early morning collection. Complete antisocial behaviour. No rhyme or reason why they were doing it. It then meant that the rubbish was strewn all over the footpaths in the green areas of our estate. Now, thankfully, says Fimber, that person has since moved away but did cause so many problems and nothing was ever done about it. And that's the point we were trying to get to today in our discussion. We know antisocial behaviour happens. It's how do we deal with it when it does happen? Do we need to put, you know, stricter fines, stricter sentences in place when somebody is convicted of antisocial behaviour. Do we start there and then try to get to the root of the problem and trying to stop antisocial behaviour completely? A listener says, Hi Patricia, I was so mad listening to your programme this morning saying young people are bored, having nothing to do. Well, I can tell you there's plenty for them to do. They don't have to go very far. There's plenty for them to do in their own homes if they only thought about helping out their parents. I never seem to see any of them out cutting a lawn or doing the gardening. When I'm driving home, all I seem to see are the parents doing it. I know some do it, but only a very few. Parents should cut down on the money, the pocket money and the perks that they're giving to young people. Make them earn their pocket money, perhaps, perhaps. But according to this listener, she feels young people today are not doing enough around the home. And I don't know, do parents allocate jobs to children? Certainly when we were growing up, there was an allocation of there was no dishwasher. So somebody was on washing up duty. Somebody was on drying up duty. Yeah. And everybody got stuck in when there was gardening to be done. I don't know if that's still happening today or not. This listener feels that's therein lies the problem no young person should be bored you should be able to find jobs for them to do uh, around the house and Anne says hi Patricia on the Anna Cresial case uh, this kind of ties in with what we're talking about about parental responsibility because Anne feels it all goes back to parents and parenting electronic devices should be removed from children all children before bed. Parents are failing to take responsibility for knowing where and what their children are doing at all times. We also, "I need to teach boys, especially young boys, how to respect girls of all backgrounds and all ages. It's very sad. What's really sad about this story, Suzanne, is that Anna had no Friends, there are no winners from this one, that is for sure. God, how right you are, Anne. And actually Martina Devlin in The Irish Independent is, uh, writes a really good piece. Actually, there's, there's some really good commentary pieces if you get your hands on, on any of the papers. Uh, like Martina Devlin writes about the fact that this is a story about loneliness, about being without friends, but wanting to fit in and be liked. It tells of a girl who was not the same as her classmates and wound up bullied and isolated because of that difference. Differences. She was a teenager who loved singing and practicing her dance move. She used to post her YouTube videos of herself tap dancing and choosing clothes from her wardrobe to wear. Martina Devlin says we learned further on in her article we learned much about Anna's short uh, life and uh, unfortunately her merciless death during the trial in Dublin. The other girls in her school and in her town moved about in groups. But she went around alone, that she didn't mix well, that she but wasn't a natural loner. She desperately wanted friends, but she had difficulty making friends. But we learned too that music gave her joy and she would go out walking with her headphones on. Her mother and father protected her as best they could. For example, there was a strict rule that she could never stay out after dark and of course we know her mother spoke about the bullying and what they did to try to protect her from the bullying was they monitored her phone, they took her phone and her eye, any kind of a tablet that she had so when she went to bed at night, if anyone was deciding to bully her overnight, she wasn't, you know, she didn't get to see it so that they did their best to try to protect her as well but I suppose who's at the other end of the phone sending those nasty texts and those nasty messages and you know bullying her over the fact that she was adopted and bullying her over her fake mum and dad and bullying her over that she was taller than anybody else there had to be another young person at the end of that phone and that's where Anne's point ties in Where are their parents? Why aren't their parents monitoring what they're doing online as well? I mean, parents, when they realise their child has been bullied, will protect them and will start monitoring the phone and try to take the phone off them. But maybe all parents need to start monitoring the phones to see and nobody, nobody wants that landed on the doorstep that their child is the bully. But, you know, somebody has to be the parent of the bully too. 1850 Thank you for your text. Um, um, you can call John Paul. Text WhatsApp 0862 103, 103. I can see some uh, texts coming in for Peter Dowd. We'll keep those coming because Peter will join us after half past 12 today. So if you have a gardening question... You can get it in between now and uh, when Peter uh, joins us on the programme. C103 Jobs. Now, Wanted is a tailor slash dressmaker. This is for suits distributors in uh, Cork. Industrial plumbers I wanted for work. This is in the Carrigaline area. While electricians are wanted for a new job starting, to, starting soon. And a senior stylist is wanted in Cork City with a minimum of three years' qualified experience. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now, yesterday, two teenage boys were found guilty of the murder of schoolgirl Anna Kriesel at a derelict farmhouse in Lucan just over a year ago. Both boys, are the youngest ever to be convicted of murder in the history of the state. Joining me to discuss the case uh, court reporter uh, Frank Graney. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, the, cra- the case ran for nearly eight weeks. The jury took over 14 hours uh, to deliberate. How was the verdict received in court yesterday afternoon?
4: Well, as you can imagine, given the duration of the trial um, and the circumstances of it, the fact that all of those Involved were so young, Anna Creazelle, just 14 years of age, when her life was taken in such a violent and and tragic way. Uh, The two boys who were ultimately convicted of uh, her murder at just 13 years of age at the time, the distressing and harrowing details that were heard over the course of the six weeks that it took the prosecution to present its case to the jurors. So you can just imagine the tension in the courtroom yesterday and the drama that unfolded after the uh, jurors returned, having deliberated for 14 and a half hours um, over the course of five days, um, they certainly took their, uh, jury duty very seriously. It must have been very difficult for them, uh, to sit through the evidence and then to have to consider the evidence and, uh, and to park their emotions to one side as they were instructed to do so, uh, by the trial judge. Um, they came back just after lunchtime yesterday, um, Geraldine and, uh, and Patrick, Anna's parents sat in their, a normal seat, the seat that they have sat in throughout the entire trial just the side of the jury box, holding hands, uh, Geraldine Criagel, her eyes closed tightly uh, as the jurors filed in and returned to their seats. The boys were not sitting in the dock. Um, They hadn't been required to do so throughout the trial. That is one of the many measures that was put in place at the outset to uh, essentially run the Central Criminal Court as a children's court, to make it as informal as possible. The judge and lawyers, for example, didn't wear their traditional robes, but They weren't required to sit in the dock. So yesterday when the verdicts came in, uh, boy B was sitting in the public gallery, which was closed um, uh, because of, obviously, the the need to protect their identities. The um, public uh, were not allowed into this trial. Um, So boy B sat with his mother and father um, on one of the benches at the back of the public gallery. Uh, Boy A then sat in between his parents um, on a bench just beside the doorway at the very back of the courtroom and and um, I watched those closely to see what reactions, if any, they gave. Uh, When the verdicts were eventually delivered, the jurors found them both guilty by unanimous verdict of the charges they faced, boy A of murder and of aggravated sexual assault, and boy B of just a single charge of murder. Uh, Boy B's father uh, was noticeably upset, stormed out of the courtroom, slammed the door behind him. He did return a few minutes later, um, slightly more composed, but obviously a very emotional um, a moment for him, um, realising that his son had now been, as you mentioned, uh, convicted as one of the youngest uh, murderers uh, in the history of the state. Uh, boy A's uh, reaction was a little bit more subdued. Um, he was visibly upset. Uh, his mother was, was very distressed. Um, he rested his head on her shoulder as as she cried and wiped tears away with, with a tissue. Um, Geraldine Creasier, then I noticed at this point, reopened her eyes, and um, and she gave very little away um, at that point. and And it wasn't that surprising, to be honest, because of the way that she and her husband, Patrick have held themselves and conducted themselves through what must have been a very difficult trial to sit through the likes of the post evidence in particular. I found that evidence personally very, very difficult um, to hear about somebody you'd never met before. But to think of her parents there sitting, listening to the amount of injuries that... Anastasia suffered and the way that she died. Um, and did they never, Frank,
0: miss a day in court for the mm-hmm. duration of the case?
4: They they didn't. Um, they were day, yeah. there day in, day out. Um, Anacrita's mother was taking notes at, time. at times. They both gave evidence. Um, they were both uh, one of the first witnesses called on behalf of the prosecution. They were there throughout and during that post-mortem evidence that I've, that I've just described there, and, and the jury, this wasn't brought to the jury's attention, so it wasn't something that we could mention at the time, but the two boys were actually excused from sitting through that evidence um, just because of the distressing nature of it. Um, post-mortem evidence is not something that I would want anybody to sit through, but to take the now-retired state pathologist, um, Professor Mary Cassidy, almost two hours to present her report uh, just goes to show um, how uh, how many injuries Anas- Anastasia suffered. She did. I died hear you say it
0: was something like sixty injuries to her body.
4: Sixty, sixty injuries. Yes, wow. and, and th- there weren't weren't many parts of poor Anastasia's body that weren't affected by what happened to her. Um, blunt force trauma to the head and neck was established as the cause of death, and there was also evidence um, of a sexual assault. And, and Boyer was ultimately convicted of an aggravated sexual assault. Um, aggravated is inserted there. Um, because of the use of violence uh, by carrying out the the sexual assault, so for Anna's parents to sit through that it must have been very distressing. But they held themselves in such dignity yesterday as they had done throughout. And the defence barrister, I remember, uh, in one of his in his closing speech, he used the word grace to describe um, how they had conducted themselves throughout. And, and I think that is a really appropriate word to describe. Um, their reaction yesterday because it was very mooted and clearly they would have been highly emotionally charged um, having been waited for uh, the, for the jury to come back for so long 14 and a half hours they were sent out this day last week uh, so they had the whole weekend to sit through waiting and waiting and waiting and as difficult and all as that is for the likes of me and my colleagues who are covering it I can only imagine what was going through um, the heads of those directly involved but they did say a few words to the gathered media outside court afterwards. Um, very briefly, they spoke about Anna uh, Patrick describing her as their strength, um, and Geraldine Criagel uh, describing her as a dream come true. Um, she, also, she also said that she would be forever loved, forever cherished, um, and they left the courthouse at that point, but they are likely to return now because the sentence hearing and has been adjourned until the middle of next
0: for, month. For a month. And during the course of the the case, Frank, did you get a sense of what Anna was like?
4: We did, and that's something that is something that is sometimes lost in, in other trials that I have covered, um, where the only thing you will hear about um, a victim is how they died, or the moments leading up to their death, or possibly why they died. Um, but in this case, particularly through the testimony of Geraldine and of Patrick, we got a really good sense of the type of child that Anna was. And she was just a child. She was 14 years of age um, at the time of her death. We heard that she was adopted uh, from her homeland of Russia when she was two and a half years of age. Uh, Geraldine and Patrick travelled over there and brought her back to Ireland a week later. Uh, we heard that she had um, a very happy and and, and a very... Uh, a loving childhood uh, in the home that they made for her in Leaks, they'd been in County Kildare. Um, and we heard about some of her interests, and and it goes without saying that, that the trial was 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 certainly lacking for moments um, where you could be forgiven for breaking into a smile, such was the, I suppose, the content of what we were hearing from day to day. But the exception to that was a portion of of Geraldine Criagel's testimony uh, when she started talking about Anna's hobbies. And she started remembering how Anna used to love uh, to dance and to practice her dance moves in the house. And she allowed herself a small smile at that stage. And that was clearly a lovely memory that she held dearly. And she spoke about her love of gymnastics and swimming. Um, she wasn't very academic, but she certainly was athletic. Um, she was very tall for her age. Uh, she was almost six foot in height. And um, Geraldine described her as a typical Siberian. Um, and that was something that was... Um, There's a source of some bullying Uh, she was bullied about her height in school we heard that she struggled to make friends her mother describing her as a loner who craved friendships uh, but was unable to make them Um, she was bullied endlessly we heard uh, in school about her height about the fact that she was adopted Uh, and not only in school we heard that she was bullied online Um, Geraldine Criagel went through uh, her social media accounts we heard that she had a YouTube channel she was on Instagram and Facebook and things like that Snapchat And she would go through these um, on a nightly basis. She would insist that Anna hand over her electronic devices, hand over her passwords, and she would go through them. And she said that she was aware that Anna didn't like her doing this, but that Anna understood that it was for her protection, and she always handed them over and she always gave her her passwords. And she described some of the stuff that she found uh, online, um, very harrowing remarks in relation to Anna that must have been very difficult for her to hear. And I suppose just the nature of it in this day and age where children now you know who may have been bullied in school in the past and um, would feel you know safe uh, and protected at home from that bullying and, and with now electronic devices and you know people being so easily um, accessed um, she couldn't get away from it and and her mother had to intervene and do her best uh, to ensure that she wasn't bringing that stuff home with her she was described as an innocent and and a vulnerable person, somebody who also had some medical issues. She had a very poor earring in one of her ears because of a, a tumour that was removed when she was just six years of age. Um, she also had very poor uh, eyesight. She was a volunteer. She used to love volunteering with school choir and talent shows. And, and uh, she helped raise funds in the school by modelling in a fashion show. Uh, again, she was six foot in height. And um, and I have seen some pictures doing the rounds of, of her in that fashion show in some yeah, of the newspapers yeah. today.
0: And she's stunning. Uh, and, Stunning. And those, yeah, and those, yeah
4: those pictures certainly give people um a real insight into the person that Anna was a really beautiful teenage girl yes a little bit different to to everyone else but the really tragic thing is is that you know the older she would have gotten um you know people would have embraced those differences and and they do I think when you reach a certain age in life the people embrace those differences when yeah. like you're in a certain phase of your life where people who are different are almost shunned you know it was a, a really sad um Time in school that she had, but the the picture that that Geraldine painted was of a very innocent, um, a very naive and a uh, girl who who loved life and was full of fun uh, and loved to dance and and was you know, much
0: loved was was much loved, and the fact that she was adopted was you know the much loved wanted child,
4: f- very very much Crecious. so yes um, and and clearly. The Criagells will be given an opportunity to deliver a victim impact statement uh, if they so wish, and they'll be able to talk about how the crime has affected them, and, and they'll be able to give more of an insight into the type of person uh, that Anna was. But um, uh, certainly, through those little flashes in in her testimony, we got a little bit of an insight. And one thing that struck me as particularly poignant when uh, Geraldine was recounting. Um, the day that she came home and realized that Anna was not at home and she asked her husband where she was and he said that she had gone out with Boy B, that Boy B had called for her. And um, Geraldine said that she was immediately concerned and she made efforts to get in contact with her and she couldn't get a hold of her. And she sent her a text message at one point saying, if you don't come home now, I'm calling the guards. And she said that she was coming across as um, as, as overprotective and that she was aware of that. But what, what really concerned her was that Boy B had called to the house he had never called to the house before, but more poignantly than that, she said nobody called for Anna. She had no friends, so that's why alarm bells started ringing in her head, and her intuition was correct. Her mother's
0: instinct kicked in.
4: There you go. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. She they went talked. out looking for her, but but, but um, and and and, and they
0: reckon and they, they 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 reckon she was Anna was already dead at that stage.
4: That's right. So yeah. she didn't waste any time. Um, when she got home, we heard that she was working that day. She talked about the last time that she saw Anna. Uh, she went up to wake her that morning, she gave her a kiss goodbye and uh, she had to actually give her a note for her school because she was going to be attending a counselling session. She had begun counselling that year and she was going to be attending a session that afternoon so she had to give her a, a permission slip um, for her teachers to excuse her absence and she gave her a kiss and she walked out the door and went to work and little did she know that was the last time that she was going to see her alive but she had a meeting in Dublin City that, that evening and she said that she had two missed calls from Anna, uh, one shortly after four o'clock and the next just a minute later, and she said she wasn't in a position to call her, but that she tried to call her as soon as she left that meeting, and she couldn't get a hold of her. It went straight to voicemail. Uh, But she said that she'd be home shortly, so she didn't think too much of it. She said she'd speak to her whenever she got home. Um, And when she did and realised that she wasn't at home, she became immediately concerned, as I've mentioned, and she went straight out and up to the park where Anna had actually been taken earlier that day. She wasn't to know that at the time. We do now because of the CCTV footage that was gathered as part of the extensive uh, guard Investigation. So when she went up to the park um, at that stage, maybe less than an hour after Anna had had left the house, um, the prosecution believes that Anna was already dead. God
0: Okay, talk to me about sentencing, Frank, and what happens from here?
4: Well, the fact that the boys are um, still considered to be children in the eyes of the law, um, they're 14 years of age now, they were 13 when uh, they committed that heinous crime. Um, The mandatory life sentence does not apply, children. It would if this if these were adults. Um, over the age of 18, the judge would have no discretion when it comes to sentencing. But Mr. Justice Paul McDermott does have some discretion when it comes to sentencing of minors, juveniles. Um, so what happened yesterday was the two boys were remanded in custody. Um, for the first time, they have been on bail throughout. You can imagine the um, dramatic scenes as they left um, their parents' embrace and were taken into custody. Uh, they spent last night in Oberstown Detention Centre in North County, Dublin, um, and there they will remain until their are sentencing on July 15th. And what will happen in the interim is the judge has requested that a number of orders or uh, reports be uh, prepared, uh, probation reports, psychiatric reports, school reports, basically anything that will give him um, some assistance when he has to construct appropriate sentencing sentences for the two boys. He's also said he'll hear uh, what their parents have to say in evidence if they wish to go into evidence, the Act provides um, for them to be allowed to do so, but they're under no obligation to do so. And also, of course, we'll hear victim impact statements um, on behalf of the Criagel family. Um, Geraldine and Patrick may want to say a few words of how the crime has affected them. The judge will take that into consideration if they do. The judge will also hear submissions from the prosecuting barrister and the defence barristers, um, submissions in relation to aggravating factors, which would be inclined to increase. A potential sentence and mitigating factors, which would have the opposite effect. Um, once he has all of that information, then he will assess it all, look at all of the surrounding circumstances, and he will hand down sentences accordingly. It's hard to tell at this point if he'd be in a position to hand down sentence on the 15th of July, given the volume of yeah. uh, material that, that might only be considered. the
0: beginning of the, of the process. And yeah. frankly, the anonymity of boy A and boy B does that remain in place even when they reach 18?
4: It does, and again, you have to look at their ages and and the fact that this comes under the Children's Act, so their identities were protected throughout this process. The public gallery, as I mentioned earlier, was closed to members of the public for that very reason. Um, Very strict restrictions were put in place in relation to the reportage um, of the case. Clearly, we couldn't name the boys, but we couldn't identify anything, and any particular piece of evidence that was inclined to lead somebody... um, to put the pieces together and to identify the boys. It's called the jigsaw effect. So if you put enough of information out yeah. there, that yeah. in itself would not be inclined to identify people. Well, you know, that, that was clearly forbidden. Um, children witnesses that give evidence, the same rules applied. The same rules apply now. Even though the boys have been convicted, their identities are still protected, and they will be protected post-sentencing, and they will be um, uh, protected throughout their lives. Um, there were some questions being asked of the boys, maybe identified after they turn 18 well certainly that's not the case um, given their ages given the fact that they're at such a development stage of their life the law looks at them as children and protects them accordingly
5: okay
0: and uh, frank just on, on a personal note you've you've i mean you've done a lot of court reporting before was this a very tough case to have to sit through for eight weeks
4: it was um I have covered some very difficult cases in the past, and it's the nature of my job. Um, you do have to develop a sense of detachment from these cases when you're covering them, and you really have to dig deep and be able to leave them at the door at the end of the day um, and not to carry them around uh, with you. Clearly, you have to be fair and accurate throughout. You have to be impartial. Um, you know, you're, you're not entitled to have an opinion throughout. You're certainly not entitled to broadcast it. But this case in particular struck a chord for me and for all of my colleagues, um, and clearly it was the nature of the evidence, uh, Geraldine's testimony, the the insight that we got into the person that Anna was, and more tragically, the person that she could have been, uh, and also the ages. I mean, their kids, um, fourteen years of age at the time, and she died. The boys, thirteen years of age, when they carried out that that awful act. Um, it was it was all of those surrounding circumstances. Um, really left an impression on all of us. And it was certainly the most difficult case that I have have ever had to cover for a whole variety of reasons, and not just because of the content, uh, but also because of the way the media was scrutinizing their reportage. Um, Clearly, we were under very uh, careful restrictions and, 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 you know, uh, we had to abide by those. But you were constantly conscious of that, particularly doing live pieces. Um, So that brought it an, an added difficulty. But, you know... Let's not. It's very kind of you to ask, but this certainly wasn't about me, wasn't about my colleagues, and my thoughts today are with the Criagels, but also with the families of the two boys who have done nothing wrong, yeah. and they have watched their boys being convicted of murder, and they're l- unlikely to see them um, again, see them out uh, again any time soon. And, and my thoughts when it goes to all these cases, you try to do them justice, my thoughts always go to the people that are left behind, because it's not always about the people in the dock or The victim that has been, that whose life has been taken away. It's about the people they leave behind. The Criagels will never be the same again. The boy's parents will never be the same again. The Criagels will never get Anna back. Nothing will bring Anna back. They have to live with that forever. They've been handed a life sentence, and they won't be freed from that life sentence anytime soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely no winners. Listen, your reporting on, on this has been um, absolutely excellent, uh, as always. Uh, and I hope you get some time off, because I think anyone who's been reporting on this case, you need a, a good long break. Uh, listen, Frank, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining you too, us. No problem. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Frank Graney, who was our court reporter throughout the anacrisal uh, murder trial. And, and Frank is right there. You know, it's uh, Anna's parents, but also the parents of the boys as well and I know one of the boys had for example his two granddads in court uh, with him yesterday as well it's you know it's a a difficult time for them uh, as well but for the for the creation family their life sentence is never going away This is the Court Today replay on C103 And can I say a lot of uh, texts and calls coming in, a huge outpouring of uh, support for Anna Creatial's parents. I think people very much. Thinking of them uh, today and uh, Catherine by WhatsApp saying, my heart is breaking here, tears falling, listening to what that poor girl went through. And that is uh, from Catherine and uh, people wondering what is the sentence expected to be? We don't know. I mean, we really don't know. I mean, listening uh, to Frank, as he outlined, if they they were adults, it would be a mandatory life sentence. But because they're children, they will be Uh, treated differently when it comes to sentencing, the option of a life sentence is there, but it will be up uh, to the judge. And somebody else is wondering, will both boy A and boy B get the same sentence? I don't know. I mean, literally, we're we're, we're just we will we will wait to see what happens on the 15th of July. But I have a funny feeling And anything I've read or listened or heard to since. I think July 15th is just going to be the beginning of the sentencing uh, process. I think that this judge is going to think long and hard before handing down this sentence. I think that's just going to be the beginning of the process as you as you heard Frank outline he's looked for a number of uh, reports uh, including the credentials are going to be asked and I imagine they will judging by the way they spoke in court I imagine they will give a victim impact statement as well so I just think there's going to be a lot of reports and whether they all will be in by the 15th I don't know. Eighteen fifty three 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 one o three. Now let's move to a completely different topic and a much lighter and brighter topic this Saturday June 22nd Donna Court in North Cork will open its doors to the public for the first time in a generation. To talk to us about what people can expect, I'm joined by the general manager of Donnell Court, and that is Mary Heffernan. Uh, Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning. Uh, Hello. You're well. I'm, I'm very well. Huge excitement in the area over this. Tell me about the work that's been carried out at the house.
3: Yes Patricia, there's been a, a, a massive capital project on at the site since November of last year. Um, so 10 months ago uh, Eamon Costello was awarded the the project for the refurbishment of primarily the ground floor of the of the mansion um, So Eamon and his team have are literally here on site still and they're just finishing up getting ready for for Saturday's celebration.
0: So it's just the ground floor that will be open to the public?
3: Yes, the the funding so far, Patricia, has, has allowed us to you know, completely conserve all of the rooms on the ground floor. Now, that does include refurbishing the grand staircase that oh. brings us to the first floor. Uh, but for this year, the funding only took us that far. Now, we're very, very hopeful that with, you know, great support and feedback from our visitors this summer, that... The OPW will continue to support the project, and be that great. by next year we can move up, move up a floor.
0: Is it fully furnished?
3: It is. We've been very, very fortunate, Patricia. Many, many people have come to our assistance and offered loans for the house once they heard the, the house was was to be conserved. Um, when Lady Mary of Donnerail sold the house to the Land Commission in 1969 all of the contents were sold so so really for the last few years as we've prepared our plans for opening the house really we've been sitting at the drawing board saying okay well what would make a wonderful experience to bring people to north cork to, to, to want to travel to be here with us so we came up with what we hope will be wonderful plans for people to come and enjoy so for example we met with the crawford art gallery in the city and we said to them, well, could we establish a partnership with you whereby some wonderful historic landscape, 18th century paintings, particularly if you have ones of Cork, of Cork landscape and people, um, could, could we could we engage in a partnership with you that we would be the repository, the home to, to show these?
0: to Could people? we borrow them from you?
3: Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> and listen, these, we were, these
0: would we have, were, have been paintings that would have typically have hung... In a place like that's, Daniel Court, that's, that's, yeah.
3: that's right. So, for example, we have a wonderful portrait of William Robinson, a very important seventeenth-century architect who designed the Royal Hospital Kilmainham, um, uh, many buildings in Dublin Castle, and um, and he's born in Cork. So this is a you know it's a very prestigious portrait. And when you go into the entrance hall, you will find this this stunning portrait. We also have been um, given on loan the iconic portrait of Elizabeth Bowen oh. by Patrick Hennessy. Uh, so as that wonderful painting was hung in the panelled room this week, literally there was hairs rising on the back uh. of people's necks because, you know, it's like bringing Elizabeth home. Here she is, you know, literally in the neighbouring property to our own home, which sadly was demolished. In the nineteen sixties, yeah. uh, so really worth a trip out. Yeah, to see that
5: alone. alone
0: to, to and then, what about, what about what about furniture, Mary?
3: Um, yes, what we did was the Office of Public Works has quite a large store of antique furniture and historic furniture. Okay. So, so we we, we literally <laughs> <laughs> uh, went in with our our, our our clipboards to see you know what might be suitable. Um, there, there are some wonderful bequests to the nation by people over the years. And, and sometimes you're waiting for the right project to, to get this material out. So, for example, Barrettstown Castle, which is now home to the Hole in the Wall gang um, managed by Paul Newman. Yeah. Um, the One of the former residents of that house was Elizabeth Arden. And she, in fact, bequeathed her collection at Barrettstown to the nation. So we had the pick of that. And honestly, wait till people come up and have a look at it. Exquisite 18th century furniture, beautiful ceramics. um, You know, really, really interesting material. A lot of it oriental material. So, so that is.
0: So you almost became like interior designers, deciding what chair will go there, a table will be lovely there.
3: Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Well, we were very fortunate. Christopher Moore, who is a historic interior specialist, okay, um, he joined our team. Um, from September of last year. And, and Christopher has an amazing ability of 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 getting people wanting to be involved in a project. So, for example, um, a private donor living in Cork has given his entire miniature collection of portraits of Cork people and their homes. And he's given that now on long-term loan
0: to Donna for Court. Donna Rail.
3: Oh. So, so Christopher had this skill of, you know, Tracking people down and just saying, well, look, what about the material being in the public domain? What, what about just getting this out here for for people to to just connect with and, and connect with our history? So, so we we we've really worked very well on that. On and what, that what are the
0: plans for the official opening on Saturday? You've got the minister coming to town.
3: We we have indeed. Uh, minister Kevin Morin, Moran, uh, minister for the Office of Public Works, will will officially open the house, okay. um, as, as we've already said, for the first time in 50 years. While the Irish-Georgian Society were there from 1976 to 1994, under under the stewardship of the, the very well-loved Arthur Montgomery, um, Really, Arthur facilitated some private visits, um, etc. But but really, the house wasn't in any fundamental no. way fully open. We're going to be open seven days a week, and we have a fabulous new team hired, um, who who will who will greet and manage and mind our, our visitors at that, that. And will there, the
0: will there be a charge to get in, Mary? Yes, it'll be €8 Euro, uh,
3: for, uh, for for adults no, okay. and children under 12 c- go free okay. and there's a good rate for group tours and an and old age pension. And it'll be
0: open seven days a week from
3: what time? It, it, it will open at ten until six.
0: Ten until six, okay. And, and it open
3: until early November.
0: Okay, so it's just the there for the summer season. Okay, and people, of course, who uh, live in the area will know Donnell Park well because a lot of work has gone on there. You've got the fabulous new playground, and there's, you know, there has been a lot of investment oh,
3: in, in there the has, park. There has. I mean, there, all the grounds, as you say. I mean, we've we almost five hundred thousand people visiting annually, and, and you know, we've big plans, Patricia, to Good. you know, continue to build support to get the wall. Old gardens conserved, um, as they say, to go up further up in the house. So, you know, this is really just another chapter in the development of Donnery, a very exciting one, because I, I think people have looked for so many decades at the house and just been so curious to get yeah. inside it's, it's, and, and, and It's the, gem, uh, it's the
0: gem for North Cork. I've been saying it for so long. Listen, I'm looking forward to going out there at the weekend to yes. see it myself. Oh, Mary, I have to leave it there. We perfect. will talk again. Thank you for yes. that and good luck with the official opening on Saturday. Oh, okay. Thank Thanks, you, Amelia. Bye-bye, bye bye. Bye bye. That is Mary um, uh, Heffernan, who is the general manager of Donnerer Cork. Official opening on this Saturday.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: Just on the Anna Kriegl case, uh, John Paul says he's getting a a number of calls in.
3: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible,
4: budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1 dot com.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
5: plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: uh, From people saying why are why has boy A and boy B why have they been granted uh, anonymity and that they should be named and people should know who they are and their photographs should be in the papers today but they have a right to anonymity because they are children and as we heard from Frank uh, Greenier, court reporter the judge yesterday reiterated that the boys cannot be named and they're entitled to anonymity and that extends to even when they reach the age of 18 they were 13 when, they ca- when the murder was when, when the murder was committed they're now 14 but that even when they hit 18 they will still be entitled to that anonymity and a couple of people on text are saying what about the Jamie Bulger case in England where those boys are not named they were but that's a completely different jurisdiction that's under laws in the United Kingdom. We have a different uh, we deal with children's cases differently in this um, country. Somebody else saying can they be given life in jail? Uh, Yes, it seems they can. The it would be mandatory if they were over the age of eighteen. We treat children differently, and there is, you know, there is an act there for for children which refers to children breaking the law, and and it, it deals with with serious offences. Even though I heard yesterday that murder isn't mentioned in, in it, I suppose we don't expect children to commit murder. But yes, it is, and there there is precedent there as well in that other people under the age of 18 th- these are the youngest to be convicted of uh, murder but there were a couple of cases i think of 15 year olds who committed murder i think of which one got a life sentence but it is to be reviewed after 10 years I think somebody else got a 7 year uh, sentence so it is possible um, for them to get a life sentence but then somebody's saying if they do get a life sentence where will they serve it will they serve it in jail and where are they going to serve their sentence well at the moment they're in Oberstam Children's Detention uh, Campus and that's where they've been remanded in custody and they will remain there pending sentencing for Anna's murder and they certainly will be there until we now know the 15th of July And it's also been speculated that it is almost certainly where the boys will serve any custodial sentence imposed on them up to the age of 18. While all young people sent to Oberstown Children's Detention Centre have committed serious crime, the facility itself is referred to as a place of care rather than a place of detention and I'm reading a piece that was written by the security and crime editor with the Irish Times, Conor uh, Lally and he's talking about Oberstown Children's Detention Centre as they say it's a place of care rather than even though detention is in the name of the the establishment. The daily regime is much more relaxed and it is less of a secure setting than obviously you would get in an adult prison for example uh, when their staff prepare the Breakfast for all the young offenders, they, and they prepare treats that they might like throughout the day. They're allowed to play video games, they can watch movies. They are given the space and the time to take private phone calls. That's all part of their daily uh, regime at Oberstown. Young people are brought on day, day trips outside of the campus including swimming. They're allowed to go to the cinema. They receive pocket money if their behaviour is deemed good enough. However, if they present as angry, they are taken out of the group setting on, on campus and they can't be physically restrained by the staff. But if they're in good behaviour then they get their pocket money and they can go to the cinema and the swimming, uh, etc. Now, they, over the years Oberstown Children's Detention Campus has been in the news it has experienced rioting by some young people and that's certainly made uh, the news at other times some of the young offenders have absconded particularly when they were out um, on day trips with the staff although most of them were found and returned to the campus uh, quite quickly there is a staff of educators there's a staff of care workers there's medical personnel and they draw up what is a placement plan for each young offender who is sent there. The, it's formulated with the view to helping each teenager progress, stay healthy, gain an education, and ultimately. They'll be, the aim of it is to reintegrate them into, into society to try to turn them away from crime. Oberstown House, there's males and female offenders. They range in age from 12 to 18 so they're the exact age of boy A and boy B. Now at the age of 18 then they then can transfer to an adult prison system if required to complete their sentence. So if they get a longer sentence, if they got life or if they got 10 years, they would stay in Oberstown until they were 18 and then they would move to an adult uh, prisoner prison. Young offenders from all over the Republic are held in Oberstown. They live in houses on the campus. They're known as units. Up to eight young offenders will live in each unit, each unit then as a manager. There's six staff working on each unit during the day and they have two overnight. Staff are there to support them and to help them to keep the rules of Oberstown. They are allowed to get a phone call when they arrive. They're allocated two key workers and this is all, all this information is coming from a booklet which is presented every time a new arrival arrives. All the young offenders have their own ensuite bedroom. Uh, however, these are described as bedrooms rather than cells. Now they do feature a large steel door with a locking mechanism, and there is an observational hatch which you would we would all sort of imagine what a prison cell door looks like, but they don 't call them a prison cell. They call it a bedroom its as I say, it is ensuite each ensuite, each room has they have their own tv the TV is switched off at two a m in the morning they're allowed to switch it back on at nine a m in the morning, but it is locked. Uh, overnight, even though there's two staff on at all times at night, the unit on the campus has a lounge area which allows the young people to congregate socially. There's what's called multi-purpose rooms in each unit where young offenders can watch movies, they can play video games, and that's where they're allowed to take phone calls in private. Meals are delivered into each unit, and young the young criminals sit together at meal times, so they're almost trying to form like a kind of a family atmosphere isn't it? it? At the weekend then it's the staff who will prepare a cooked breakfast for the young people and at all times any special dietary requirements can be catered for Breakfast is served at half nine in the morning Every young offender then must attend school on campus from 10am Monday to Friday. Lunch is served at half one. It's uh, followed by another hour and a half of school in the afternoon which ends at three. There is one hour of free time then for phone calls and for the Xbox and then from 4 pm, varying recreational activities are, are available. What do they include? They can go to the gym, they can play football, they can go to textiles, arts, they can do cookery, they can do wood turning, music, and snooker or pool. Um, this is all what's in this information pack from Oberstown. During the school day, lessons are 45 minutes long with four classes a day and that can lead the young offenders to either sitting leaving search or junior search because obviously these boys will haven't, will even, won't have will even have done their junior search so they're more than likely they do their junior and leaving search while in Oberstown And then all of the young people undergo medical examination on campus. There's medical staff uh, there when they arrive. There's a GP and nursing staff available daily. There's a nurse, nursing staff present on campus every day until nine o'clock at uh, night. And then there's also things this is where it becomes more like a prison. there's this a system of random searches which operate on campus where bedrooms are subject to search at any time, and young offenders uh, are searched when they, when they leave the campus and when they come uh, back so But the main emphasis of Oberstown children's detention campus is more on care rather than on detention and that is more than likely. It's been speculated that they will serve out their custodial sentence uh, boy A and boy B until they reach the age of uh, 18. Somebody said prison is a holiday camp for young uh, offenders. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, when I was reading down it, I don't think everyone's going to be too happy about the fact that it is, it's seen as a care centre rather than detention. But that's, that's what we do. That's what we do with young offenders. We try and do everything that we can to rehabilitate them and to turn them away from crime so that ultimately they can be re, reintegrated into society, whether we like it or not. That is the way it it's done in this country and i'm assuming that there's loads of evidence there to prove that it does turn them away from crime hopefully that's what the evidence uh, shows 185333103 and by the way just on a completely different uh, issue when we were talking on the last hour with the Donnerale court about the opening of Donnerale court and the official opening happens on this uh, saturday and then will be open to the general public after that 7 days a week Up to, I think, did Mary say until November? Uh, Somebody says the lady that was on with you, Mary uh, Heffernan, that was her name. Would she be a wife of Joe Heffernan? No, she's not. Same name, Joe Heffernan's who. who joins us on a Tuesday Joe's wife is Mary but no it's a different uh, Mary Heffernan. and somebody wondering are they one and the same they're not can I have your gardening questions uh, in please um, because Peter Dowder will be joining us later on in this hour so if you have a gardening question get it in for Peter uh, the weather's certainly picking up a bit this week so maybe you've been out in the garden because we haven't had the best of summers so far so if you have any question for Peter 1850 333 you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103,
3: 103 The C103 Cork Diary
0: With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie There is a blood donor clinic going on in the Parkway Hotel in Dhammanway today five until half past eight uh, this evening and they'll be there again tomorrow Thursday at 3 to 5 in the afternoon and 7 to 9 tomorrow night. And to celebrate the 5th annual International Yoga Day, there will be a free yoga event at Bohaboo Comprehensive School this Friday at 6am in the morning until 7am. Bring your own yoga mat and bring a bike along as well because they're going to do a slow bike race at half past 7 in the morning. The Mitchestown Cope Association are hosting a fundraising pop-up shop tomorrow Thursday 10am 3pm. It'll be in the Forest Hall in New Square in uh, Mitchellstown. And the, uh, there's the free singing for the brain workshop. I love the idea of this. It's going to be held in the community room in the Riverview Shopping Centre in Bandon tomorrow, Thursday, between three and half past four with teas and coffees. It's open to all. Singing can provide a way for dementia and Alzheimer patients to socialise. With others along with their carers and friends. If you'd like to book a place, you can call St. Catherine's Centre in Bandon on 023 88 41681. And Air Og GAA are presenting A Night with the Stars this Friday night at 9 pm. MC on the night will be Tomas Mulcahy with Thomas Walsh, Davy Fitz, Owen Bomber Liston, and many more special guests. Tickets are 10 euro and they're available from Air Og Bar a quick shout out. We got a call in earlier today that a set of keys were lost yesterday, Tuesday in Charleville on four o'clock in the afternoon. The person who lost them reckoned they lost them around or near the post office. Anybody picked up a keys yesterday in Charderville? 087 911 6826. Some of your calls coming in. Column in Buttevent on the Anna Creasiel case said the parents had warned Anna's school about the bullying the mother it uh, seems that had meetings with the school so Colm is wondering did the school act schools normally do they, they normally do act on bullying cases uh, Colm feels even at this stage the guy they should be calling into uh, the school to see what was going on well I, you know I imagine and I don't know if it's happened since at the school since Anna's murder have they has there been a lot done on bullying or after this case I'm assuming there will be a number of schools, I think, will be looking at their own bullying policy. Even though we've had bullying policies in schools, I don't know if we'll ever see the end of uh, bullying. Uh, thank you for your call. I, I just, I kind of knew when I was reading about. Oberstown Children's Detention Centre and reading about the type of daily regime and the fact that it unfolds in a much more relaxed and less secure setting than an adult prison, and that's where the boy A and boy B are at the moment and is now almost certainly where they will serve any custodial sentence imposed on them up to the age of 18. I kind of had a feeling when I was reading it out that it was going to annoy a lot of people and I can see a lot of very angry texts coming in from uh, people Uh, saying Mick in Donner saying gee Patricia would you stop is it any wonder we've such a high crime rate Uh, Mick goes so far as to say uh, that capital punishment should be brought back in in this country somebody else was saying listening to Patricia speaking this place sounds like a great place to be in ensuite bedrooms pocket money cinema video games I think there'll be a queue of young Uh, People wanting to uh, go uh, there but you know as I say they are that's what we have in place for juvenile offenders and the whole idea is to try to it's all towards rehabilitation that's you know the whole idea of it is to try to turn them away from a life of uh, crime 1850 uh, 333 Questions in please for Peter. I can see them uh, calling Peter Dowdell a resident gardener will be joining us in a couple of minutes. We were talking about Donarell Court in the last hour. Mary says, Patricia, did Mary Heffernan, uh, the new manager of Donarell Court, know that the ground floor of Donnell Court was open to the public but many, many years ago Mary wonders this the other Mary texting us wonders why it was closed it's now cost so much to reopen it I would hope that the powers that be uh, will put a clamp on dog owners bringing their animals under control and not letting them run loose a good programme says Mary well there are signs up in Donneray Park saying that your dogs must be on the lead no I've I'm often I've often been out in Donneray Park and I've seen dogs running around my big bugbear is are they cleaning up after their? Dogs, when they bring their dogs out for a run or a walk, because it is an area, beautiful, beautiful place for walking, and it's uh, quite stunning and so well maintained by the OPW. I, I have to say, it's a g- gorgeous walks. That I just hope that people clean up after their dogs. That does that does annoy me. I mean, maybe they need to get get stricter, make sure that nobody walks with their dog unless they're on a lead, and they make sure that everybody coming in has their plastic bags, and they clean up after after themselves. But I'm just glad there's been an investment done in Donnell Court because it was an old house. You could see it going into decline when you, you know, when you board up and lock up old buildings like that, unless you do something to them and keep the maintenance going. And this seems to be the start. They've done the ground floor. The hope would be that I suppose if they, I mean, they're charging to get in. What did Mary say? Eight euro for adults. I don't know if it's, did she mention a child's price? I just, I remember the eight euro for adults. I mean I'm assuming now it will generate money and if they can prove that it's going to generate money the more money they generate hopefully the more money they will invest I mean to me Donnerale court in North Court can be like like Muckra's house down in Killarney there's no reason why, why it can't be and it looks like it's on that it's going on that road it's just going to need a lot of support and a lot of tourists I mean let's hope that they really sell it to tourists and let tourists know they need to know that it's there so that they can go in to see it I certainly am looking forward to seeing it at the weekend and I'll, I'll let you know how I got on uh, with it This is the Court Today replay on C103 and Peter Dowdall of the Irish com, our resident gardener, uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter.
6: Good afternoon, Patricia. How uh, are
0: you? Uh, I'm very well. And it looks like there seems to be a bit of good weather on the way. The, and it's mixed with showers, but there is a bit of sunshine. The temperatures are up a little bit. So we'll take
6: that. I heard, I heard a great uh, Irish weather forecast last week. So I was talking to somebody in the morning and this, I said, Have you any idea what the weather's going to do? And she said to me, Well, I was listening earlier. She said, There's supposed to be showers and rain, and then after lunch it's less bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the Irish summer, isn't it?
0: We're, we're, yeah. o- we're obsessed with weather though, aren't we? We're just absolutely obsessed with
6: it. We really are. And it's, I suppose it's so changeable. And I mean, it just, it 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 shows us how much we re- we rely on what happens outside and what happens right outdoors, be it in the sky or in the ground. We're totally at its mercy.
0: Yeah, that's it. We can't change it. And the longest day of the year is approaching on Friday. So let's, uh, there's still plenty of time for the summer to to, uh, get, yeah, to get better. So, yeah, we wouldn't worry about it. Okay, people are on to us with questions. Let's get straight into them starting with Colette in Kilworth. This is a question for Peter, please. I have a Japanese maple, purple plum leaves. Well, it was purple plum leaves when I bought it. After five years ago, the Migger Middle bigger one is still plum purple in colour but all the new growth is green and stays green it doesn't change to the main colour it's like I have a purple one growing in the middle of another one I'd prefer if it was all the purple colour I'm wondering why it is by the way healthy
6: Well the way she describes it is exactly right she has the purple one growing in the middle of a green one so what happens with these purple leafed acers and most Japanese maples they're grafted on, getting a bit technical for a minute, they're grafted onto the rootstock and the rootstock is a, a plant called Acer palmatum. The reason this is done is because Acer palmatum will grow quite readily from seed whereas if you get uh, seeds from let's say one of the plum leafed varieties, uh, the seed of that won't necessarily come true to type at all so you, 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 you propagate it vegetatively, so in other words by cutting or by grafting. So the rootstock of nearly all Japanese maples is them, and then they graft on the, the chosen variety onto it, whatever the plum-leafed one she has, like be Crimson Princess, for example, or Bloodgood, or one of them. Um, so what happens then is all the growth comes up through the root system of the rootstock, and it goes into the, at the graft union, the growth then goes into the, the cultivar, the variety that we want. But underneath that union, depending on where it was grafted, the growth can emerge through the lateral buds
5: And then, I,
0: and then Colette will have a predominantly purple one then
6: she will absolutely but um, it might be an ongoing an ongoing maintenance okay. issue but it's, no, it's not rocket science it's, it's, it's an easy enough job but just you will need to stay on top of
0: it okay uh, good luck with that good. question for Peter please for the first year I've missed planting out window boxes and hanging baskets but I'm wondering is it now too late if not what would Peter advise planting at this stage
6: I wouldn't say it's too late at all, no. I mean, we haven't really had much of a summer, as you said, at the start, just to get out there and enjoy it. And garden centres throughout the land will still have bedding plants and patio plants suitable for growing in window boxes now. And in fact, the trend towards instant gardening, if you like, means that many of the patio plants and that are now available in bigger pots so they have a longer shelf life in the garden centre. So as a result, when you buy them, you're getting stronger plants, which will give you more of an immediate impact in your window boxes. So certainly get out and do it. What I'd recommend planting is largely up to yourself in terms of colour. However, I would say this, and it's important, obviously, is that many of the bedding plants, the intensively hybridised ones that we use, are no good for the pollinators, for the bees and things like that, and the hoverflies. So look at two in particular. One is called Biden's, the lovely yellow one, Biden's Aurea, and the other is one called Bacopa, Bacopa Snowflake. Do try and incorporate those two plants Uh, into any of your your window boxes or any bedding containers, hanging baskets that you're planting. Uh, Number one, they're stunning in colour. I mean, they're a lovely addition anyway. I'd use them anyway. But they're also two that are very, very successful for the pollinators. So you could mix some of your your other ones that aren't so good in with it. But if provided you use some of the Bidens and the Cope, then you know you're doing the right thing by the bees and you're still going to have masses of colour.
0: Okay, Mick in Toker says, I am composting away and have been doing for the last 10 years. Well done, Mick. But the last two years, I'm noticing a lot of wood lice in the active bin that I use for the compost and they're eating all the waste green food. Any reason for this? I'm talking thousands of them. Any suggestions as to what I should do?
6: I suppose the the facetious answer is yes, (laughs) there is a reason for it, but I don't know what it is. Um, And... uh, it's it's quite simply, I would say, nature doing its thing again, Mick. I mean, as you say, well done, Mick. He's come passing away for the last 10 years. And as a result, you are increasing the biodiversity in your garden. It's through simple methods like this, through doing simple, basic things. That's what leads to an increase in the insect population and, and all the right things. So the, the, the wood lice is doing what he wants them to do. Um, I, I don't know the reason for it, but I would leave well alone. I wouldn't be worried about it. They're they're doing They're doing the good job, if you like. They're not causing any harm. Um, so I would think no, it's just it's just a result of uh, probably some combination of things that he put into the compost bin at some point, which the woodlice liked and it, it attracted them and they're breeding there. Uh, but I wouldn't be worried about it; it's a good sign.
0: Okay, and keep, and keep co- composting, Mick. Mary's in Ballydehob. She has an azalea shrub that has been attacked by moss up the branches. It's dried out. The buds have dried out. No flowers as a result. Never happened to her in the 25 years since the shrub has been planted. She wants to know, is it gone now? There's also green fly on the leaves and buds of roses. That's a, that's a separate question. The azalea first.
6: OK, it's difficult to say without seeing it uh, whether it's gone or not. She says there's no buds, which certainly doesn't mean that it's gone. But if there's no leaf on it, um, then if, particularly if it's a evergreen azalea, they're not all evergreen, but even the deciduous ones should obviously be in leaf at the moment. Um, if there's no leaf on it at this time of the year you'd have to say yes it is gone Uh, what caused it I'm not so sure that the moss growing on it's unlikely to have caused it it could believe it or not even though it's been in there 25 years it's never seen a summer like last year before Mm. so it could be a result of that uh, intense heat and extended dry period we had last year it could well be that Um, but without seeing it it's, it's difficult to say if it's just that it's got no flower buds no it's not necessarily gone at all but if there's no leaf on it then I would say, yes, it is gone. And then as regards the the green fly on her rose bushes, uh, the first course of action, I was only doing this myself last night, actually, get out there with a secateurs. If the infestation isn't too heavy, So, in other words, if it's not all over the plant, it's only on a few shoots, go out with the secateurs, just remove the worst of the infected growth, and hey, presto, it's gone. Uh, totally chemical-free, totally immediate, and, and a perfectly safe way of doing it. And the rose will produce more flowers, so don't worry about that. Um, if it's a very heavy infestation, you could look at spraying it with the garlic wash, which we've discussed many times, Trish, in your program, yeah. uh, where you pulp down one or two coves of, our bulbs of garlic with about two litres of boiling water. Google Google it is the best way. You get many different uh, concentrations.
0: Variations of it, yes. yeah. Yes.
6: Yeah, so make a wash using garlic and boiling water, then dilute it and spray it onto your, your rose bushes. That works brilliantly as a preventative because it makes everything that you spray it with unpalatable to the aphids and the caterpillars. Not always wonderful when the attack has started, but certainly worth a try. And also, of course, there's great antifungal properties with garlic, so it helps with black spot and things of like that as well. So it's a great thing to do when you're your regular maintenance scheduled anyway. Uh, and lastly, the last the last way I would steer you, if none of them, uh, if you don't want to try either of them, you could just get an in, uh, an organic insecticide. So one containing pyrethrum or pyrol uh, is an organic insecticide. Now, I've done uh, quite a bit of homework on this because I, it's something I advise quite a bit. And... It seems to be, from what I can find out, it's not that it's, even though it's organic, it doesn't mean it's totally harmless for the bees, but it certainly seems to be much less harmful for the bees. So uh, look for one of the organic insecticides, only use it in the evening time when the the bees have gone back to their hive, uh, and that should also be quite effective.
0: Hi Peter. What will kill unwanted grass for good?
6: Uh, getting out there with, with a shovel getting out there and digging it up it's it, its hard to know if it's unwanted grass is it growing through the shrub beds or is it that you want to get rid of a lawn uh, or what uh, you yeah. The only weed killer, really, that is going to do it is glyphosate, which is the, the active ingredient that's present in Roundup. The and, one
0: we're trying not to use. All of them, yeah, yeah, it's
6: in all of them. But, it's, it's, yeah, i let you make your own call whether you want to use it or not. I certainly don't want to be accused of recommending it. I'm not going to recommend it. I, I don't use it. But the answer to the question, what's going to kill the grass, is glyphosate.
0: Yeah, OK. I want to plant a hedge, says another listener. I was thinking about Herberus darwinnie. How, yeah, how, hi, how high will it grow as I need something to go to six feet high and something prickly,
6: thanking you? Well, yeah, no, absolutely. They've, they've come to the right right solution. It's evergreen, berberus, Darwinia. it's uh will grow to easy. We'll get to six feet, maybe even seven and eight if left unchecked. Lovely orange flowers in kind of late winter uh, and berries, uh, kind of black, bluey blackberries from last year's flowers. Very prickly, evergreen, dense, dense hedge, nobody will walk through it um The only thing that I'd have to say about it is it's relatively slow now I wouldn't let that stop you. It just means you will be waiting for it uh to come together as a hedge or if you, you like all of them, you can get them at a mature size, but you pay for it mm-hmm. so the the advantage of something being slow growing is that it's low maintenance it's not going to once it gets to six feet it's not going to get out of hand like laurel wood or something like that um but the advantage of the, the disadvantage of something slow growing is obviously it takes time and therefore if you buy it mature, it's going to be more expensive.
0: Hi Peter, can I cut back Mexican orange blossom now, it's not flowered?
6: Okay, well the, the, I would say yes you can because the advice of Mexican orange blossom, gorgeous plant, Trish, Troisia, uh, Ternata, really lovely plant, scented white flowers or should have in this case scented white flowers but it should be finished or finishing around now uh, and that is the time that I would, would cut it back just after the flowers have gone from it. So if it hasn't flowered this year then yes cut it back um, uh, she doesn't say or the caller doesn't say whether it's flowered in previous years or not uh, if it hasn't or if it ha- if, rather if it has and it just hasn't flowered this year I would give it a shot of the nature safe or something that uh, some good organic plant food to, to promote flowers for next year when, uh, just after you've cut it back
0: Hi, what can I feed strawberry plants with, As a regular listener?
6: Again, I would go with that Nature Safe, which I was just recommending to promote flowers. It's a good one because it promotes flowers and fruit. It's a totally plant-based plant food, which means there's no animal product in it. And when you're, when you're in my game, you have to become more and more aware of, of um, vegans. And they're not more aware of vegans. I mean, I don't mean to sound patronising about it, but uh, there so many people are more and more... It has become more popular yeah, yeah. But, um, but more people are so concerned about the, what they eat i'm i'm for example i'm severely celiac so i have to be incredibly careful about what i eat and what's in the the food that i'm eating and, and um vegans would be very very serious about what's in their food so if you're growing strawberries uh, it's good to know that the plant food doesn't have any animal byproducts in it okay. so the nature safe is purely a plant based one so it's it's vegan friendly if you like um and it's, it's a, an incredibly good organic plant feed. So I'd, I'd use that on all my fruit and veg. You can get that in a, to the best of my knowledge, you can get that in a granule, well, I know you can, in a granule as well as a liquid.
0: Okay, and I love to see people growing fruit and veg. Here's a gym near Bantry. Peas and beans, seeds sown four weeks ago today. Why are they not above the ground by now?
6: They should be. They should be. That's all I can say to that. Uh, at this time of year, June, you sowed them in May. It, it, it hasn't been a wonderful summer, but the temperatures have certainly been high enough for them to be germinating. Um, a couple of questions I would have more than answers, and one is, the first question I would have is, how deeply did they bury the seeds, it's only about a quarter to half an inch that you'd want to bury them down or, or else start them off in pots and then plant them out. So maybe you put the seeds too deep, too much soil over them. The other thing, and it's possible, is maybe the seeds were, were, were dead. Maybe they, they, they were no longer alive. They might have dried out too much in storage. Um, I really can't say, yes, I mean, he's right to be concerned because four weeks they should certainly be well over the ground by now.
0: Okay, another listener says, uh, I bought a hydrangea. When do I plant from the pot? Watering well, when do I plant? When do I feed it? Okay,
6: Okay, well, watering well is very important, particularly if it's growing in a pot. But hydrangeas like to be in a slightly damp soil anyway. They'll thrive best in in a moist, damp soil. So water is obviously important. When you're planting something from a pot, it doesn't matter whether it's a hydrangea or what it is. When you're planting it from a pot into the open ground, you can do that any of the 52 weeks of the year uh, provided obviously the ground isn't waterlogged or frozen during the winter or anything like that Uh, there's no root disturbance you see when you're taking something out of a pot it's only the other way around when you need to be concerned so you can't take something out of the ground except during the winter months but when you're going from a pot which is why nearly everything is grown in pots now in garden centres so that people can plant whatever they want whenever they want Uh, so the answer to the question is plant it away now, plant it whenever you want. But do, uh, do continue to be diligent with watering. Obviously nature is going to take care of it a lot of the days at the moment, but when it's not, you have to assume that that, pot, uh, that plant is still in a pot, if you like, for the next few months, because the root system certainly won't be able to get its own water from the soil yet. So pre- pretend it's still in a pot uh, and keep watering it regularly, but you can plant it immediately.
0: How to Could Peter suggest how to make organic mix for potato blight?
6: an organic mix well the the copper sulfate or the blue stone which is what what's traditionally called is the best preventative for, for potato blight if you're buying it in a garden centre you'll found it uh, uh, labelled as copper mixture and it comes in a white powder I'm not a chemist but I did speak to a chemist about this before about the various different ways you can buy it and it's it's so it's copper sulfate and then you have copper sulfate I think it's pentoxide I could be getting the wrong term now but the, so when it's blue, I think it's already been mixed to, with water to a degree. Um, or penthydrate, maybe it is. Anyway, um, if you're buying it in the garden centre as copper mixture, you mix it with water to make a solution 35 grams to one and a half litres of water. Make sure it's well dissolved and well mixed, and then you apply it to, to your potato plants. If you're buying it as bluestone, in uh, a co-op store or an agricultural supplies you'll have to check with who you're buying it from as to the correct concentration the correct dilution rate because it can vary in strength uh, depending on what formula or what formulation is being as i say i'm not a chemist but they'll, they'll have that or they should have that information in the store where you're buying it
0: okay jane and Mala wants to know what's a good time to cut back holly
6: uh, probably too late now for this year you are too late for this year because the berries should have set in it already so now I'm saying that if you cut back a holly at this time of the year you're not going to really damage or kill the plant but you will sacrifice any berries for the winter so the right time to do it is kind of February just after the berries are more or less gone and the birds may have taken the last of them Um But before the flowers have come, and people might be listening and say, I didn't know a a holly flower, but it does, and it's actually got a most beautiful flower, but very, very small, because of course, if there were no flowers, there'd be no berries. Um, So the flowers happen earlier in the year, kind of around April time, so I would cut it March-April, so I would cut it in February, just before the blooms.
0: And I've been asked to mention that there is an open garden at Morris and Gertie O'Donoghue's in Carrick Navarre. It's happening next Sunday between 2 and uh, 6 and all are uh, welcome. What are you up to this week?
6: And that is a fantastic, fantastic garden. It's really one is of the it? best gardens you'll be lucky enough to see in Cork. It's a brilliant garden. And there's several open gardens this weekend. I know Tony Barry down in Caractool is open for the hospice as well. There's too many to mention. I've been asked to mention loads of them, but there's lots of open gardens this weekend. And then on the 29th of June, there's a fabulous screening of a movie about Peter Adolph, who's probably one of the most influential garden designers of the last 50 years. And that's happening in the Nagle Centre in Cork City on the 29th of June, and this Saturday, on the 22nd of June, I'm taking myself down to the Karen Bridge Garden Centre at Blackwater, just outside Yaws. So it was formerly the Blackwater Garden Centre, which most of your listeners will have known it as. Uh, Karen Bridge Garden Centre are in there now, they've taken it over, and what they've done with the place, it's looking amazing, Trish. It really, really is really is looking fantastic. I'll be down there this Saturday from 12 o'clock. I'll be talking about designing with plants. I'll be kind of sharing some tips about how to use elements like colour, texture and structure, how to how to work with them in the garden using plants. Um, that's this Saturday from 12 to I think about 1 or 2 I'll be there. Uh, so looking forward to that. That's the, what was the Blackwater Garden Centre in y'all, just outside you
0: Okay, enjoy and we'll talk again next week thanks Thanks a lot that's where I wrap it up for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick's with you for the afternoon talk to you tomorrow at 10
5: Nick Richards
3: weekday afternoons from 1
5: C103 we're live at the Marquee. Toto
0: due on stage soon Connor, how are you?
3: I'm absolutely fantastic
0: you have a prediction
3: for GAA fans Cork to win pulling up with about 20 minutes to go in the first half
0: Cork will win and we'll go all the way to win the All-Ireland and do you think maybe uh, Toto may have a musical accompaniment? well it'll be the banks of my own lovely Libra. (laughs) there'll be plenty of water after the rains in Africa so I think we'll be good it'll all be fantastic why don't you join me
3: weekday afternoons from Lozzy
0: 103
3: Selling a little or a lot